Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Our scripture reading for today comes from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Now hear a word from the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of God for the people of God. The book of 1 Samuel tells the story of the first kings of Israel, you know, in case you weren't reading 1 Samuel on the beach yesterday. And it can be a little confusing because there is also a book called 1 Kings. But 1 Kings is actually about the decline of the monarchy and the rise of the prophets like Elijah. In 1 Samuel, there is also a prophet, appropriately named Samuel, 
who understands God's will and helps to move the narrative along as best he can. We meet him today in chapter 16 in a dangerously liminal place. You see, Samuel, the prophet, understands that God's favor is not with the current king. In fact, God has found another candidate to lead the people, and the one that God has chosen is coming out of left field almost literally. While a new king may seem like an exciting thing for those of us who appreciate a good ceremony, who love pomp and circumstance, perhaps those of us who watched with absolute delight earlier this year at King Charles's coronation, but we're going to have to set all of that aside today because this transition of power is not going to transpire with so much hopeful anticipation. No, this one is going to begin with grief and fear and that not so fun kind of surprise. How long will you grieve over Saul? The Lord says to the prophet Samuel, for I have rejected him as the king of Israel. Now go and fill your horn with anointing oil. Take a calf and bring it as an offering. Go. This chapter has ended, God says. I am doing something new. If you paid attention to the reading, you would notice that even the residents of Bethlehem tremble with fear when the prophet Samuel comes. They know they already have a king, one who is not interested in an early end to his lifelong term. And so how is this going to play out now that the prophet of the king is arriving with anointing oil? So you have to feel sorry for some of the characters in this story, especially the prophet. You know, Samuel did not ask for this. He is just trying to do the Lord's work, passing on a message from God to the people. He did not ask for this. He is not trying to get himself killed because it turns out the king on the throne is not the one God has in mind. You know that old phrase, don't kill the messenger, it was running through my head as I prepared for this moment. And I wonder if it was crossing Samuel's mind as well as he went about the brave task of anointing a new king, wondering all the while what his boss was going to say when he found out what transpired in Bethlehem. What happens in Bethlehem, though, reaches beyond even the wildest prophetic imagination. Notice, God didn't tell Samuel the whole plan. God simply said, go to Bethlehem, bring your horn, fill it with oil, take a heifer, and I'll show you what to do. This is how I know that Samuel is working for the same God that we are. How many times do you feel like God calls you to step out on faith, leaving everything behind while you are still waiting for the game plan? You're still waiting for a few more directions or maybe just a small little glimpse at the bigger picture, but God doesn't always give us that, right? 
Well, Samuel does just as he has instructed. And when Jesse shows up with his sons, Samuel looks at Eliab, the oldest, and he thinks, surely this is the one. He is tall and strong. He has all the makings of a king. But God says, nope. Don't look at his appearance, for I have rejected him. I do not see as mortals see. They look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Now, it's important to remember that when we read this story, we bring our own sense of excitement and hopeful anticipation because we know how the story is going to end. Do we not? We know that the end of this faithful calling, at the end of it, we're going to find David, who's going to become the great king. We already know that David isn't just the youngest son of Jesse, the one who's out there tending the sheep. We know that David may just be a shepherd boy now, but one day he's going to be the greatest king of Israel. We know that because we know the bigger picture, right? But when Samuel set out on this journey with just a heifer and a horn, he did not have the benefit of all that history. He didn't know how the story was going to go. And so while our story with this story might be a little bit overshadowed with hope, it is important to remember that Samuel's story with this story is full of fear and grief and uncertainty. But back to the story. After the oldest son is rejected, six more of Jesse's boys parade in front of Samuel, bringing the total number to seven. And as good readers of the Bible, this should signal something in our minds, right? Because we know that seven is God's favorite number. Seven is the number of completion, Samuel had seen seven sons of Jesse. Surely he has misinterpreted. Maybe he better look again at the seventh, right? Because God likes the number seven. But trusting his gut and his finely tuned ear of faith, the prophet asks Jesse an unexpected question. Is everybody here? He says, have we seen all the sons? And Jesse says, well, no, we haven't seen them all, not the youngest, but he's just back there tending the sheep, implied, what in the world would you want with him? He's not king material. He's not even worth thinking about. No way. He's the future king. He's not your guy. What I love so much, though, about this part of the story is that here, God seems to stretch even beyond God's own preferred patterns. God chooses the eighth son, and in so doing, God draws our attention to the one who is outside the number of completion, the one who's the outsider, right, who is the eighth, the youngest, surely the most unimpressive of them all, with no credentials to present, and yet the eighth son is precisely the one in whom God finds favor. Wow. Others struggled to see it because they, like us, wanted some kind of physical or tangible evidence. 
something that instilled confidence. I mean, let's not forget, Israel already has a king. And so if God wants a new one, surely God is smart enough to call somebody who is worthy of the task at hand. No one believed David was ready, ready to take on Saul, who was really happy to keep on ruling over Israel. No one believed David was ready for the task. He was so far off of everybody's radar, he didn't even get invited to the sacrifice with his brothers. He wasn't even invited to participate in the ritual act of the offering, and yet David was the one whom God had chosen. Before David ever did anything to earn it, God knew he was a king. You know, we've talked about how surprised everybody else probably was as God's plan unfolded that day in Bethlehem. But can you imagine David's own surprise? When over the horizon of the field where he stood with his sheep, he sees a messenger coming, running toward him, saying, come, David, leave all the sheep. Hurry up, because Samuel wants to see you. I wonder if David felt like some of us, how we feel when God calls us into service. Whether it's a call to vocational ministry or a call to serve on the diaconate or some other leadership role in the church, whether it is a call to teach or to listen or to lead or to serve behind the scenes, sometimes when God calls us, we are shocked beyond belief. Really, God? Me? What makes you think I could do that? But lucky for us, God sees differently. Remember what God said to Samuel early in the story? The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look upon outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we're not in the business of anointing kings or political rulers, but we still recognize and call and ordain spiritual leaders from within our community of faith to lead us into our future together. And today, we are doing just that. Much like Samuel, we don't have a blueprint telling us exactly what will happen in the next three or five or ten years of our life together. Nevertheless, today, we celebrate and recognize and ordain and name those whom God has called into service. Each one brings a different life experience. Each one offers unique skills and gifts that have equipped them specifically for the work ahead, and each one has been recognized by someone else in this congregation, someone who, like Samuel, sees the work of God in the person's life. And I'd be willing to bet that each person, each one of these new deacons, was probably a bit surprised when the call came like David must have been when he was standing in the field, minding his own business, tending the sheep. I wonder if our new deacons thought, really? Me? Are you sure? But here's the truth. Before you ever did a thing, before you ever did a thing, God called you beloved. 
Before you ever did a thing, God began gifting you with all the tools that you would need to serve. Before you ever did a thing, God was equipping you for the task ahead. All you have to do now is say yes and to commit yourself to the task, to the journey, and to the service of others. And in so doing, you will become the deacons that we are ordaining and installing you to be. And friends, even though we are specifically talking about deacons and deacon ministry today, the truth is this. We are not excluded from the beautiful gift and the beautiful call to the service of the Lord. No, we are all called to be stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be agents of God's love in this world, to be servants of all. And so we must ask ourselves, what is the gospel that I am called to share? And what kind of Christian witness will I bring to this world? And if we ever doubt that we are capable or equipped or worthy of the work, let us always remember David, who was standing in the field surrounded by a bunch of sheep. When God reminded us and him that before we ever did a thing, God called us beloved. Before we ever did a thing, God began gifting us with everything we would need. Before we ever did anything at all, God was equipping us for the task ahead. And all we have to do is say yes and then get on with the work.